0: Hello, welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello there, Cove Church. I hope you are all well. Today, we're going to return to our series that we titled Table Talk. And and we're returning because I really just didn't feel like we were done with it yet. I felt like there was more that God wanted to show us because we have been discovering in this series, uh, this particular truth that good things happen around tables. And so if there's something I hope we're applying from this series, I hope first it would be that you're spending time at the table with Jesus, that all of us just get to go, man, I'm gonna just spend some time at the table with Jesus every day, just be with him at the table. And the second thing I hope we're applying is that we would be inviting others to that table with us. Uh, It's such a simple and profound act to just make room at the table of our lives, whether it's having someone over for dinner or for lunch or, or coffee, but this is how community is built. We open our lives up to one another. And if we would do that, I guarantee that we will find out firsthand that good things happen around tables. I remember uh, years ago when we were in youth ministry, going to camp, and there was this game that we would play uh, back then. And you would be in this big big field and on the field you'd pretty much lay out a big square. And on each side of the squares, you'd put a person, a a student, and over that person, you would put one of those old school metal garbage cans, you know, like the Oscar the Grouch kind of metal garbage can. And their job was to get from where they were in the field to the other side of the field. But that was happening for all four of those players in this game. And so they would try to run across the field, but obviously there was this possibility of impact. And so their teams would try to organize them to try to tell them what to do. Tell them, okay, run forward, stop. Okay, go left, move there. Okay, now go, go a little bit this way. They'd try to direct them, but that was happening all around this field. You can imagine the yelling, the voices, the, the just, ah, it's just the intensity. And so what would invariably happen is somebody with those garbage cans over them, would just decide, you know what, I'm just going for it. And they would just take off running. Not knowing if they're going even the right direction, but they would just take off running at full speed. And, and often that would end up with these legendary, like collisions in the middle of the field. It's amazing that no one was permanently hurt by that. It's a miracle. I'm amazed that no lawsuits were ever, ever leveled on that one. But that was the nature of the game. The game was all about trust. It set up the choice of whether or not I will just blindly pursue the trajectory that feels good to me in this moment. Or will I listen to the voice of the one who, do, who can see what I can't see, who knows what I don't know, and who truly desires my well-being above all. That's what that game put in place. That is the dynamic that is played out at our table of trust. And that's the table we're going to find ourselves in for today's message. Our story will come from the Old Testament, from the book of Daniel, to be exact. And allow me just to give you a bit of context here. Around 600 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, besieged Jerusalem, took it over. Essentially, Judah was now under Babylonian rule. Now, to increase its influence, Babylon employed this brilliant strategy when they took over a place. They would take some of the brightest young leaders from that overthrown nation. They would remove them from their culture and indoctrinate them in the ways of Babylon. That is how Daniel and his friends enter the story. They were those types of leaders. Now, again, it's quite an effective strategy for a conquering nation because if they could do that, if they could fully assimilate these key leaders into Babylonian culture, when those leaders were sent back to their positions of influence at home, the empire would have a far easier time of keeping them from rebelling because those young leaders would be sympathetic to that kingdom. They would be loyal to King Nebuchadnezzar. They would be team players. And they'd be like, oh, Team Babylon. They'd be all for it. This was obviously long before the emergence of social media, but these folks were the original influencers. That's how they saw them. And the question was, will they go along with that program? That is the test that Daniel and his friends are facing. And God allows that test. Remember, The enemy tempts, but God tests. The enemy tempts us, but God tests us. God doesn't test us to stress us. God tests us to bless us. Because our testing from God reveals what's really going on inside of us. It's like if you ever wonder, if you end up with something that looks like a piece of gold, and you wonder if it's really gold, all you have to do is drop a little bit of vinegar on that piece of metal. And if it changes color, it's not real gold. That tests, it's metal. That's what God's tests do for us. They reveal what's happening on the inside. They reveal what's true. And all of those tests will bring us back to one place, the table of trust. And that is the table we get to talk about today. And the first thing I point out is this, The table of trust will test our hope in God. Daniel 1 is where we're going to be, starting verse 3. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. All right, I want you to picture the amount of change these young men have just gone through. They were ripped from their homes. They have been dropped into a foreign land where they don't even know the language or the culture or the rules, and they don't even know when they're going back home or if. I mean, it's one thing if you travel to a different country, a uh, distant land on, on a missions trip or on a vacation, and you, you know, use Duolingo ahead of time to learn how to ask where the bathroom is and their language, you know, donde esta el baño, you, know, you practice that quite a bit. You know how you're getting there. You know what you will do when you're there. You know when you're coming home. They didn't know any of that. Nothing was the same for Daniel and his friends. And the truth was nothing would ever be the same again. In one sense, that's not so different from all that we've walked through in our world. The pandemic changed all the rules, didn't it? It changed the math of our culture. It used to be if you did this, the result was this. If you went here, this would happen. But it's not like that. Everything is turned upside down. Everything is confusing. And so the question we face is the same question that these young leaders from Judah faced. And it's this. Will the changes we encounter deepen our trust in God or destroy it? Will the changes we encounter deepen our trust in God or destroy it? That is how dramatic change tests us. Here's why. Because change is the crucible of trust. Change is the crucible of trust. See, here's what I mean. I can take a rope and I could hang it from these rafters way, way up there here in in our church uh, auditorium i could hang it from those rafters and i could tie it with a knot feel really really secure about it, tell everybody in this room it's totally secure totally safe that knot will not slip but the only way i can prove that claim to be true is when i somehow get up there and grab a hold of that rope and hang on to it with all my weight in both hands that's when i prove that to be true that's when i prove that it's trustworthy there's an action tied to it. That is the crucible moment. That is the test. Trust is action, not just word. And friends, we have been and we continue to be in a test. A test that moves us beyond words. And this is what I mean. The test is, will I trust God amidst what feels like an increasingly broken world? Will I connect to God's people amidst a a broken church? Will I believe that God still wants to bring healing to the broken relationships of my life? Will I seek the God who is unchanging amidst so much change around me? You know, it's not long ago. You could go to a grocery store And if you wanted it, they just had it, right? They had like eight different types of whatever the thing was you wanted. But now you can go to the grocery store. They may not have it. Like I'm looking for this. They just don't have it. Like a toilet paper. I don't know if they're going to have it. You know, baby formula. I don't know. They may not just have any of it. That's possible now. It didn't used to be like that. I remember not that long ago talking about gas prices and being like, well, at least it's not in Europe. You know, not like Europe because they've got $6 a gallon gas over there. Guess what we have? <laughs> I remember the days not long ago when you would order stuff like from Amazon and you would click. Okay, I'm going to buy that right now. And you click it and you hear a knock on the door. Tink, 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 tink. Here's your order. It would be just right there that fast. Now it takes a while. Like we ordered uh, the new soundboard that the that, that church just ordered, which uh, I'm so excited about. We, we just ordered it a few weeks ago. Guess when it arrives? December. December. It's not like it used to be. See, the changes we have faced only increase the heat of the crucible. All these new changes, all they do is they increase the heat of the crucible. And just like these young influencers, we can allow that change to increase our trust in God or to destroy it. And sadly, I think many are finding themselves in the latter. And I get it. There is not a week that goes by that I don't encounter another man or a woman who's jaded from the world, who's wounded from the church, who's weakened by relational pain. We are surrounded by what feels like an endless tornado of change and tumult. So were Daniel and his friends. Yet here's what they did. They stayed close to God, knowing that just like the story of Esther, perhaps God called them to this moment for such a time as this. It was true for them, and it's true for you. I know how uncomfortable changes. is. I, I do. But friend, don't lose hope today. God will meet you on the path, and God will lead you to the other side. Just don't lose hope. Hope in God, because the table of trust will test our hope in God. That's the first thing. Here's the second. The table of trust will test our relationship with God. Let's continue the passage. Daniel 1, pick it up at verse 8. Big voices, go. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. Here's a question. It comes out of this. Why did Daniel not want to eat the food from the king's table? It says he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food Now, there's several theories as to why this took place. One theory is that it was because of Israel's dietary restrictions. Lots of stuff like you don't eat certain things, you don't eat pork, and obviously there's probably some of that on the menu, okay? Yet in Israel, we always see that they were really pro-wine. I mean, man, every time you read the Bible, it's a lot of wine happening there. So I'm not sure that fully explains the veggie and water diet. So, what's another reason? Second reason could be that the food was sacrificed to idols, to false gods. Certainly became a problem later in history. Paul even wrote about it. But there isn't a lot of evidence that that was pervasive then. So, what's the explanation? Well, the third explanation to me is the strongest, and, and here's what that one is. The idea is this, that Daniel didn't want to place himself in a position where he elevated the king's relationship with him over his relationship with God. Essentially trusting the king's rule over God's rule in his life. That was the place that Daniel was drawing a line. He he understood he's living in a new place. He understood he's been given a new name, but he wasn't going to be given a new loyalty. As we've said many times, to join with another person at the table, especially in those days, it was to commit to relationship. That's why the table is so powerful. Even today, it's still such a powerful place because in that act, it establishes a connection. It it establishes affection and fealty. And Daniel was unwilling to choose loyalty to Babylon over loyalty to God. Unwilling to choose serving Babylon instead of serving God. Unwilling to choose friendship with Nebuchadnezzar over friendship with Yahweh. Unwilling to allow the Lord of Babylon to take the space in his heart that he had only given to the Lord of all. That's, see, that's what King Nebuchadnezzar wanted from Daniel. All along, that's what he wanted, was that kind of loyalty. And as you read the story forward, You'll see that's the one thing he could never get from Daniel. And it starts right here at this table where Daniel decides which relationship will reign supreme, which will be first. And our life, friends, is filled with choices like that. Our dog Swagger, the Labradoodle. He he sits on the back of the couch in in the front room, looking out the window, like a parakeet almost. And he looks out the window and if other dogs walk by, he will bark at them. And he sounds tough. When he barks, man, he sounds tough. He sounds scary. There are dogs like, whoa, there's a big dog in there. He sounds like something when he's barking at him. But if there is a fly in our house, Swagger is scared, like so scared. In fact, if a fly goes near Swagger, he will run upstairs and go under our bed. That's how scared he is of a fly. I've heard of not wanting to hurt a fly. I've never encountered concern over a fly hurting me. And yet that's what swagger thinks. This fly is so dangerous. In terms of scary things for swagger, it goes in this order. Third place, it's baths. Second place is fireworks. But first place, the most scary thing is the musca domestica, the common house Fly, it's big, to Swagger. And Swagger decides what will be big in his life and what will be small. And the same is true for us. We decide which things will be big and small. We decide what'll be first and last. That's the test. What will, be, what will we allow to be big in our lives? And sadly, we allow things to be big that are just as absurd as a house fly phobia, we, we decide I'm gonna make money big in my life. That's gonna be the big thing. Or I'm gonna make power big in my life. Or I'm gonna make selfishness big in my life. I'm gonna make my car big in my life. That's gonna be number one. I'm gonna make my job big in my life. I'm gonna make my image big in my life. Maybe it's I'm gonna, I'm gonna make anxiety the big thing in my life, put that number one. I'm gonna make depression number one in my life, make it big, I'm gonna make confusion big in my life. All these things call out to us, asking us to join them at their table, to make that relationship first. And God says, would you come to my table? Would you come to to me? Would you actually put me first? That's Daniel's test right here, and it's also our test. Like Daniel, every day we're faced with these things that desire our allegiance. They desire our dedication. They desire to be first in our lives. And yet God tells us there's only one name that's to be above every other name, and that's to be the name of Jesus. Would I trust that name above all else? Above every name. Because the table of trust will test our relationship with God. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing the table of trust will test our calling from God. Let's finish out the passage, Daniel 1. Pick it up at verse 15. Big voices go. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men, young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Michel, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So without realizing it, The four friends were entered into this massive reality competition show called Celebrity Apprentice Babylon Edition. They didn't know that, but that's what they're in. The winners get the job working for the king. And we see right here, the result of their trust in God at the table. It resulted not only in them looking better on the outside, but being better on the inside. They were smarter. They were faster. They were more gifted. They were not just pretty faces, but they were thoughtful and insightful and helpful. Daniel could interpret dreams and visions. The rest excelled in literature and wisdom. All of of this, the result, not just of gifting alone, although we were told they were, yes, naturally gifted, but now their natural abilities are being fortified with supernatural abilities, with God's abilities. And this made them stand out above all others. It made Daniel stand out among all the hack magicians and enchanters. It made the king declare them the winners of Celebrity Apprentice Babylon edition. Here's why. God makes each of us with gifts that are only made complete in proportion to our trust in him. God makes each of us with gifts that are only made complete in proportion to our trust in him. It's like this. Our our neighbors uh, next door, they have motorcycles, beautiful motorcycles. They sound awesome. Harley Davidson's, other types of motorcycles, they, they love that stuff. And, and it seems like they have friends that also love motorcycles and cars. And not long ago, I was able to snap this picture of a car parked in front of my house. And it's this. That's a Lamborghini parked in front of my house. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe it. It's a Lamborghini. So, so on any given day, we are surrounded by beautiful machines, these masterpieces of design, these treasure troves of potential energy and horsepower. But here's the kicker. None of it can be realized without fuel. That Lamborghini is nothing but 5,000 pounds of fiberglass and steel, only raw potential until that potential is activated by the addition of fuel. It's $200,000 worth of engineering and design only made complete by hopefully what would be less than $200,000 worth of gas. Here's the thing. Our world is in love with gifts, but it doesn't realize that our gifts are not enough. Our gifts only become enough when they are met with trust in the gift giver. When that happens, like an engine sparking that vaporized petroleum product, an explosion of effectiveness ensues. Our gifts are, yes, the engine, but our trust in God is the fuel for that engine. And when that partner happens, that partnership happens, between God's talents and our trust, the result makes us stand out in the world. It did for Daniel and his friends, and it will for us because of this. God's talents plus our trust equals genuine transformation. See, I I think we'd miss it if we read this story as a diet plan. I do. I mean, people have made it a diet plan. In fact, churches have even made that diet like part of the tenets of their faith. You know, do the Daniel fast, all those things. And I don't got any problem with people saying, eat vegetables and drink water. I mean, don't eat kale. We know that's awful. But you can, you know, do those things. Nothing, nothing wrong. You know, don't drink too much wine. You don't want your head to be cloudy. Stay hydrated. All that's fine, okay? But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that my calling from God must always come before my calling from man. That's the point of the story. And that is a simple thing to say. It is not as easy to do, especially for people-pleaser types. And I'm like that. You know who you are. But our calling, it doesn't originate from people. So we must learn not to live as though it does. If I am willing to trust God without limits, God can accomplish the limitless in me. That's what happens in this partnership. So my trust in God, that's what determines my triumphs. My assurance determines my accomplishments. My hope determines my height. Will you join God at the table of trust? giving God everything, that first place, your hopes, your disappointments, your hurts, your fears, your questions, your doubts. Will you trust God with all of it? Because that's what happened at this table with Daniel. And God's answer was this. Trust me fully and I will do more than you can ask or imagine because the table of trust will test our calling from God. I'll wrap up with this. George MacDonald said, to be trusted is a greater compliment than being loved. I think many of us speak of loving God, and I think that's real, I think that's genuine. But what would it really look like to trust God? in all things, trust God in money, or in relationships, or in sex, or in hurts, or in fears. What would it look look like to trust God there? We say we love God, and I'm sure we mean it. But could that love be expressed in trust? Could we live that love out? Each of us is invited to the table of trust today. Jesus is waiting for you right there. My encouragement for all of us is this. Would you choose to join him at that table? Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at CoveChurchPnW. PNW. We'll see you next time.